0: Peace and all good to those listening to this podcast. First, an introduction. I am Sister Marian Leaf, a sister of St. Francis of Philadelphia, and I have recently joined our Charism team, whose focus is to share our Franciscan charism and spirituality with others. I am following Sarah Marks, who brought you these brewing faith podcasts in the past. Indeed, big shoes to fill. Before this, I spent 13 years in western Alaska, serving in the Fairbanks Diocese as a parish facilitator for five bush parishes, and living among the Yupik Eskimo and native Athabascan peoples. Before that, I spent 12 years in Zambia, Africa, in various ministries. Now I look forward to this current ministry, which God has given me. I plan to be offering these podcasts somewhere around the middle of every other month and hope that you'll find something for yourself with each one. So grab a cup of coffee or whatever you like to brew, and let's begin. It would be hard to miss the growing tensions in our country today. It seems there is a public uptake in hostilities, racism, lack of respect and civility, seeing not only in violent rhetoric, but acts against persons and property as well. As I looked around it seemed appropriate to choose as our first topic together, St. Francis of Assisi. Did you know that the young Francis dreamed of being a knight, a warrior going off to fight on the battlefields? Instead, he became a peacemaker who lived in right relationship with others and awe of creation. Let's see how that happened. Francis was born in 1182, in Assisi, into the wealthy family of Pietro de Baradone. Named Giovanni, John, by his mother, his father changed the name to Francis when he returned from the trip to France. Right off the bat, we are reminded how Jesus changed the name of Simon to Peter. In calling him to extraordinary discipleship. From John to Francis, we now expect a life transformed. As a youth, Francis dreamed of becoming a knight, a warrior who heads into battle. His first chance came at the age of 16 when he joined an uprising to tear down the imperial fortress of a Roman official, symbol of Roman power over Assisi. After the assault, the residents, including Francis, used the stones to build a wall around the city. Let's put a pin in that. Francis participating in building up walls to keep others out. Two years later, in 1200, civil war broke out between the Sisi and their chief rivals, the people of Perugia, the town about 18 miles away. Francis, now 20, joined the conflict in 1202 and fought in the Battle of Calistrata. While fighting, he was captured and became a prisoner of war. Francis languished in that prison for a whole year because his father refused to bail him out. Imagine the horrible conditions that Francis is left to endure. Physical isolation, deprivation, confinement, ill health, and the knowledge that his father knows he is there and has left him there. It is in this dark space that Francis begins to grapple with the reality of violence and reconsiders his idea of knighthood and the glory of war. When his father eventually comes for him a year later, Francis returns home sick, weak, depressed. Through today's lens, in all likelihood, suffering from PTSD. He isolates himself in his room and continues contemplating the mystery of how violence and peace are both embedded deep in the human heart. Knighthood loses its appeal. But not for long. In 1204, at 22, Francis is stronger, recovered, getting back to his old self. And with that, the dream of knighthood and going off to war gains a new foothold in Francis's heart. He joins the fourth crusade and sets out for the battlefield. On his way, he stops in Spoleto overnight, where he receives a vision in which God speaks to him. Francis, go back to Assisi and seek my will for you. He turns around and heads home. Has God ever stopped you in your tracks? It's now 12.05. It is the most pivotal year of Francis's life. He's 23, it's springtime, and he has the first of three encounters which feed his conversion. Perhaps the most popular and beloved story of Francis is told by Thomas of Chalana. One day, as he was riding his horse near Assisi, Francis met a leper on the road. He was terrified and revolted, but not wanting to go against God's command and break his word, remember to seek God's will, he dismounted from his horse and ran to kiss him. As the leper stretched out his hand, expecting something, he received both money and a kiss. Francis immediately mounted his horse, and although the field was wide open, without any obstruction, when he looked around, he could not see the leper anywhere. In his own testament, he says, The Lord gave me, Brother Francis, thus to begin doing penance in this way. For when I was in sin, it seemed too bitter for me to see lepers. And the Lord himself led me among them, and I showed mercy to them. And when I left them, what had seemed bitter to me was turned into sweetness of soul and body. Remember that pin? Francis begins to knock down the walls he has built between himself and others. In his book, In the Footsteps of Francis and Claire, Rock Nehemiah gives us five stages of transformation from violence towards peace that Francis undergoes from this encounter. First, Francis has to suspend his preconceived judgments about lepers. He feared them and was horrified to even see them. But he remembers his promise to seek God's will. And the question comes, suppose I am wrong about lepers. Suppose I'm wrong. So he risks direct contact and he embraced what he feared the most. What do we fear? Who do we fear? Have I ever been wrong about another? The second stage of Francis' conversion was total involvement. I was led among them and I showed mercy to them. When Francis walks a mile in their shoes, so to speak, he begins to see their reality through their eyes. He begins to understand what it's like to be lepers. Only then is he capable of compassion and mercy. Today, lepers represents all those marginalized people Pushed to the fringes of society. Have we ever wondered what it's like to be in their shoes? The next stage for Francis is transformation. What was bitter became sweet. Rooted in this is the Franciscan notion of mutual conversion. When we reach out to others, we ourselves are converted. Conversion and transformation is not done in isolation. Those on the fringes call out to us. In responding, we are helped to become our better selves. Who is calling out to us today? How will we respond? The fourth stage is being willing to risk. Only by undoing our conformity to the herd mentality can we then conform ourselves to Christ and His mentality. By doing so, Francis was mocked and thought to be crazy. When we do that, we too risk judgment, rejection, Emboldening. What are we willing to risk? Finally, penance. The Lord gave me thus to begin doing penance in this way, referring to his work and life among lepers. Penance means to see differently, to have a change of worldview, to have a change of heart. To live life in a different way. Is there a different way I could be living? Francis' second encounter in this pivotal year occurs in the fall. He's praying in an old abandoned church in front of what is now known as the Sam Damiano cross. Jesus, speaking from that cross, says, Francis, go rebuild my church. Taking these words literally, he gathers stones and mortar and begins to rebuild the building. Soon he realizes that this restoring applies not to the building, but to his own heart and his own spiritual life. God's call is for an inner transformation first, without which social transformation cannot happen. Francis moves another step towards becoming the image of the one in whose image we are made, the image of Christ, the Prince of Peace. What needs renewing in our own hearts? His third encounter in 1205 is his public renouncing and disrobing in front of his father and the Bishop of Assisi. This is the final and complete break with his old self. The back story is that Francis' love for the poor and lepers Found him stealing from his father. It's dad's horse, his money, and items from his store. Embarrassed and humiliated, Pietro first takes his son to civil court and then over to the bishop. Told he has to give the money back, Francis, with great joy, goes into the bishop's house, strips and comes out naked, carrying his folded clothes, topped with the money, and lays them at his father's feet. Thus, Francis publicly renounces his inheritance and claims God as his only father. Has your faith ever required such a drastic measure? back to the pen, Francis rebuilding walls to keep others out. It's 1219, and Francis finally goes off to the crusade, not as a knight, but as a peacemaker. The Sultan of Egypt, al-Kamil, declared that anyone who delivered him the head of a Christian would be well rewarded. By August, about 5,000 have died. And then, along comes Francis. Francis and one of his brothers, Illuminatus, boldly crossed the battle lines, unarmed, and were quickly captured by the Sultan's army, and sad to say, badly beaten before being brought before the Sultan. The Sultan asked them, by whom, and why, and in what capacity had they been sent? But Francis replied that they had been sent by God, to show him and his subjects the way of salvation through the Gospel message. Note that Francis goes for the good of his enemy, not for his destruction. When the Sultan saw his enthusiasm and courage, he listened to him. It is said that Francis greeted the Sultan with, May the Lord give you peace. Similar to the Muslim greeting of, Peace be upon you. This surprised the Sultan. How do we greet an outsider or someone we don't like? Francis preached the gospel in such a way that Al Camille was not offended. They spoke together of the spiritual life and reflected on each other's traditions, exploring faith from someone else's shoes. The brothers stayed in the Muslim camp for several days and departed on peaceful terms. The encounter changed not only Francis, but Alchemiel's well, who gave them safe passage and began to treat his prisoners with kindness. The New Testament theologian, Walter Wink, in his article, We're Not Becoming What We Hate, says this There is, in fact, no other way to God but through the enemy. For loving the enemy has become the key both to human survival and to personal transformation. Given the political rhetoric of today, can we share our deepest beliefs and values in ways that do not offend? How can we find common ground with those who hold different and opposing views? So far, we've heard extraordinary experiences, but let's look at Francis in everyday life. Here's a story about perfect joy. One day, Brother Leo asked Francis, what is perfect joy? Francis says, I return from Perugia and arrive here in the dead of night. It's winter time, muddy, and so cold that icicles have formed on the edges of my habit. I come to the gate and after I've knocked and called out for some time, a brother comes and asks Who are you? Brother Francis, I answered. Go away, he says, You are not welcome, then can't come in. You are simple and stupid, don't come back to us again. For Francis, perfect joy is not found in undergoing hardships, but as he says, if I had patience and did not become upset, true peace and true virtue is mine. And isn't that true freedom? Holding on to an inner peace and calm in the face of hardships and suffering? We Franciscans consider that perfect joy. Our third order rule states, Let all be carefully attentive not to become angry or upset because of another sin since anger impedes love. How would you answer the question, what is perfect joy?" Are you aware of the backstory of Francis's Canticle of the Creatures? If so, were you as surprised as I was to learn about its context? If you're not aware, here's the story. It's spring of 1225, about 18 months before Francis dies. He's sick, physically depleted, suffering tremendous pain from an eye disease, and all treatments have failed. Francis is back in San Damiano, staying in a small cell made of mats. Claire and her sisters are caring for him. The weather was very cold. Francis lay in that small cell for more than 50 days and was unable to bear the light of the sun during the day or the light of the fire at night. In addition, he had great pain in his eyes and could scarcely sleep This was a serious aggravation. Even when he tried to sleep, there were mice in his tiny cell. They would run around him and over him and climb up on the table when he was eating. They so disturbed him that Francis considered them sent by the devil. So how does a song praising God and all the creatures and praising their nature and calling them sister and brother come out of so much frustration, pain and suffering caused by these very same creatures? It happened one night when he was praying. Reflecting on his troubles Francis addressed the Lord. Lord, make haste to help me in my illnesses, that I may bear them patiently. The gist of the response goes something like this. If all your suffering, trials, and pains could lead you to a treasure beyond all value, one that would stretch into eternal bliss, would you accept it? of course. Thus Francis realized he should be giving praise for all that caused him suffering. And that's when he began to compose the canticle of the creatures. Be praised my lord for Brother son. Francis embraces and makes peace with the natural elements in creation that are tormenting him. Although he suffers greatly, his praise, respect, and gratitude for all of creation and their Creator becomes a continual song of praise for Francis. Not in spite of his sufferings, but because of where they will eventually lead him, to the arms of his beloved God. In his early life, what was bitter became sweet. As he heads towards death, what was painful became a reason for praise. How can we reshape our hardships and see them in a positive way? On his deathbed, This man of peace performs one last act which reflects his entire life in the service of peace, that of bringing reconciliation. A few weeks before Francis dies, the Bishop of Assisi and the Mayor are at odds with one another, and their animosity is affecting the whole town. Francis composes the final verse of his canticle. Praise be you, my Lord, through those who give pardon. And note the reason for those who give pardon for your love. Blessed those who endure in peace, for by you, most high, they shall be crowned. He then sends two brothers to go into a sissy and sing the now-completed Canticle of Brother son. Hearing this verse, the bishop and mayor reconcile, and the town can now rest. This final verse of the Canticle sums up the secret of peace. Peace can only endure where there is forgiveness. If not out for the love of the person, than out of love for God. Inner peace, outer peace is rooted in forgiveness, which can only be found in the heart transformed by love. Who is waiting for my forgiveness? How can I be an instrument of peace? Francis dies October 4th, 1226, at age 44. Born into wealth and hoping to taste the glories of war, his life is transformed, one experience at a time. He dies a poor, simple man who leaves a rich, giant legacy of love, peace, and right relationship with each and every creature. Today, beloved among the saints, Francis is the model of peace we so desperately need in our world today. When will we begin this journey? And remember, our brother Francis walks with us. I want to thank you for joining me today to explore some of the stories which transformed the life of Francis. Join me next time for Brewing Faith in mid-December as we talk about the meaning and implications of the Incarnation. In the meantime, peace and all good. And remember, the future is bright. If we bring the light.